This is Mitchie, and welcome back to the Manic Manor Podcast. So I hope you all have had a good week, and we are going to go ahead and go into today's episode. As I've said, we're going to talk about a notorious group that is kind of known as being celebrities in South Korea. Uh, For some people, you may know about them. For others, you may not have a clue about them. If you watch K-dramas, you are definitely familiar with them. They're known as Chibble. Um, For any of you who don't know about Chibble, they are pretty much the wealthiest families within South Korea. Um, They control pretty much just about everything and anything that you can think about. So, like, they affect your lives in more ways than you are aware of. So, like, if you have... A Samsung phone or if you drive Kia like a Kia car if you drive around in a Hyundai or if you've got like any kind of LG product or any kind of Samsung product like I've got a Samsung phone I've got like one of those um, terabyte um, gaming drives yeah like my life has kind of been influenced by them and I've never been to South Korea a day in my life And also, I've watched my fair share of K-dramas, so like I've seen Business Proposal, I know a lot of people have. Um, Some of you may have seen, you know, the K-drama, What's Wrong with Secretary Kim, but that's not, you know, that's not everything that there is regarding Chibble. There's a whole lot more than just you know, K-entertainment when it comes to them. So, for today's episode, we're going to go into, you know, just kind of like grazing the tip of the iceberg when it goes to who are they, how have they made their way throughout the world, and kind of like a low-key scratching the tip of their history in Korea. So because their impact in the world is kind of a bit more than what some people realize. So currently there's around 40-ish chebels within South Korea. The main four being about Samsung, LG, Hyundai, and SK. And they've got a bit of a complicated history within South Korea. It's kind of a love-hate relationship depending on who you talk to. They're riddled with scandals of corruption and gupchil, which is bullying for anybody who doesn't know. And just straight up ridiculous stories. And I'll tell you about some of those stories when we get towards the end of the episode. And an unfairly amassed amount of wealth. And depending on the certain types of chibble, pampered with certain favorable stories. Now, depending on who you talk to again, they may or may not have bought those stories. So, as I said, by definition, a chibol is a large South Korean conglomerate controlled and ran by a family, and often their power will exceed legal authority. And when I say exceed legal authority, they can manipulate their way around things. So, like, in history, we've seen them buying their way out of trouble. But it isn't just enough to call someone a chibble just because they're in a business or just because they're a shareholder or they have a higher management position. 
So even if they have a higher up ranking within a business like Samsung, they have to be a direct relation to like the CEO or the founder, either through blood or through marriage of some kind. If they don't have that kind of tie, then you can't really technically classify them as a chibble. So also, if you've listened to the Dark Side of Soul podcast, Joe has kind of also talked about the way that it runs inside. Joe's also made the joke that it kind of runs like a cult, um, and he's not too far off from it. Uh, they've also compared it to kind of running the way like old kingdoms used to run. So like the head of these companies would run like the head is the king. Then you have the factions that are like the lords and the nobles and all that. And then it runs down to like the subjects. So it's like a tiered system where the lower has to follow the higher and so forth. So it's kind of like the hierarchy system where you just have to kind of follow the leader of the person above you. And if you don't follow the orders, then it gets completely messed up and then you run into some major problems. Now, exactly where did they come from? How did they originate? Um, Historically speaking, looking at it, uh, just kind of grazing, um, the origins of Chibble, um, we've seen them as early as, um, you know, the pre-Japanese colonization in Korea, or around the time after liberation. But a lot of the heavy impact that could really be seen with these families were seen right at the liberation time when they started doing the industrial revolution within Korea around 60s and 70s. Now this was um, uh, Park Chung-hee's era when he started wanting to rebuild Korea's civilization to make them not so dependent on you know other nations foreign aid. Now depending on who you talk to with Park Chung-hee, he's either a spectacular leader or he's just an absolute asshole of a dictator. But regardless, under his leadership, uh, we've seen, you know, the Chibbles rising and starting to flourish and there was kind of a supportive relationship between the two, you know, President and Chibble, uh, taking off about 1963. But a funny thing that I should mention here is some strife in, uh, rocky road relationship, especially with Samsung, once again, with Samsung founder um, Lee Bung-chul, because Lee was much older than Pak was, and there's this whole thing with, if you're older, you need to be respected, and definitely more so back then in the 60s. Um, That's still a thing as well now, but it was definitely a big thing back then too. So E saw Pac as um, just kind of like a thug, which is fucking hilarious in my book. And Pac saw E as this guy that just had a huge ass seniority complex that needed to be knocked down a few levels. But regardless of that kind of headbutting that they had between one another, they, uh, I mean, you still see Samsung is still one of the major head chebbles to this day, so. Obviously, something kind of worked out between the two, and they were able to, like, resolve their differences. <clears throat> so, Park Chung-hee had the plan to industrialize Korea and make them not so dependent on other countries for the foreign aid. 
So his plan was to reverse previous president, quote unquote, Sigmund Rhee's reliance for imports. So one of his first steps was for the banks to nationalize. So these elite few groups that had been chosen could get loans for a very low to no interest rate so they could start up businesses within the country and start you know just exporting all of these goods it also gave them protection from any kind of foreign competition as well and also gave them access to um, the higher political offices within the country so it was kind of a you scratch my back I scratch yours type of ordeal so like I said park encouraged way more exporting and established quotas for them in performance as well and formed major alliances with these families and as a result you saw this major boom in profits and so we saw things start to come up in like new businesses like Hyundai and then like older companies like Samsung start blossoming with all these textiles and automobiles coming through and Korea had a major major boom like we're talking from 1960 to 1980 alone how scary good it actually was for for them to just industrialize like they did going from just producing things like wigs to high-end technologies so quickly like Korea developed so massively and though um, many outside of Korea may not have like such a deep knowledge of Chebol inside the country it's like they are a central part of the nervous system and a main reason of why Korea is how it is today like many of the household names like even that we know here like in the states and like many people in other countries have um, like I said Samsung, Hyundai, Kia some of the bigger names that we know they all come from South Korea and these families essentially have somewhat of a celebrity status within Korea and whether they have good press or bad a lot of the economy goes into their hands as well as well as you know entertainment industries and food industry and whatnot and like I said with these groups being family as well let's go into how these positions go now I'm not saying just because they're family groups that every single position goes strictly to family like people get jobs in these companies all the time but when we look at the higher up positions like certain board member positions and stuff like that those positions are likely going to go to family members like more so like the higher managerial positions almost always like 99% of the time are going to be like for the family so with all of their methods that they were doing things were working great and like I said by the 80s South Korea had a fairly good booming economy going on Korea had become financially independent and it had a secure market going thanks to the growing of their infrastructure and the tables at the time <clears throat> but we will soon see that there was a complete dark side that was going on now we're gonna fast forward a little bit into the late 90s 
And we all know what happened in the late 90s, especially from talking about the kidnapping of uh, Nadi Park, um, the Asian financial crisis of 1997, and things that were happening prior to that that was like leading up to that financial crisis. Things were not looking good. Things, in fact, were getting really bad. And while it's unclear, like, the initial cause, like, whatever that domino effect was of the crisis, uh, the blame was kind of shifted to both sides of the spectrum. You know, foreign press was blaming, like, Chibbles for branching out too haphazardly, and local press blamed foreign financial institutions for being scared and withdrawing too quickly from investments. And, um, Korean currency at that time ended up depreciating and the uh, exchange rate uh, ended up doubling. Now, there was a group called the Debuchable at the time and they ended up failing. And at the time, the crisis hit and it was at its worst around... 3,500 companies were declaring bankruptcy each month, and most of those numbers were Chebel companies that were, being the majority of those numbers that were filing for bankruptcy and just cutting a loss with their companies. So the majority of those Chebels were those companies that were wanting to go overseas and, you know, expand their businesses and everything. And reverting back to who Daewoo was, for anybody who didn't know, they were an automobile company. So they were cars and everything. They were formed about 1967. And at the time, they were the second large conglomerate in Korea after Hyundai. And before the financial crisis, they were divided into three parts. They had a corporation, an ENC, engineering and construction, and then they had an international. Now... When it collapsed, the chairman, Kim Woo-chong, ended up trying to flee to Vietnam, and eventually he ended up coming back around 2005. Now, he did get caught, and he was arrested, and was charged for embezzlement and fraud. Now, Korea, we know, is notorious for these big-time people only getting light sentences for doing big-time crimes. He only got 10 years for the fraud and embezzlement. So, during this crisis, Chables weren't getting these record profits that they were so used to during this booming period that they had from the 60s to the 80s. So, cost had to be caught where they could. All that money that they had been making, it had been spent so wastefully. And all the profits that Korea had once made, um, it was just going down the toilet. So Korea had to end up asking for a loan of about $58 billion, but that still wasn't enough to assist. So they had to end up asking for help from other countries like the United States and Japan. So those countries had to step up to help prevent the economy from completely collapsing within itself. And the root of the cause, when they looked into it, had, had come from these upper 1% chibbles, just, you know, using all of these funds that had been given to them from taking out all of these loans.
And one of those companies, once again, was the collapse of Hanbo Steel. They received so many loans. One was about $6 billion, And through corruption and bribes, they ended up being in so much debt that the debt itself was 22 times what their net worth actually was. And this naturally became known as the Hanbo Scandal. And it was a catalyst for so many economic troubles within the country. And it was seen as a cause of high-driven interest rates. And the reason that so many international investors became so scared and so reluctant to actually try to invest in any Korean you know, businesses that tried to go overseas, and that's why so many investors pulled away so quickly. So even though, like, you know, local media in Korea was blaming foreigners for, like, pulling away too quickly, they were taking a look at all of this, and they were like, mm-mm, we don't want to do that. That's too sketchy. So... All of this showed that the majority of the debt in South Korea was on the tables. The ratio was so major at a 400 to 1,000 percent that they took up and tied down much of the country's money at the time. So with that haphazard expansion and desire and greed for more money coming back to bite them in the ass, there was a desperate need for reform. With the top 30 percent of the tables going bankrupt, something just had to be done, but what was going to be done? So, companies that were going bankrupt at this time, you wouldn't believe it, places like Kia, Jinro, yeah, the soju company, Jinro Soju went bankrupt. I couldn't even believe it when I read that because I drink that soju. Um, other major ones as well were going bankrupt out of fear, um, but those were just uh, two top ones that I saw that kind of shocked me. But... After the crash of 97, the government started to kind of step in a little bit and slim down many of those businesses, and about half of them were broken up and or they just kind of failed. Uh, critics of this movement said that this was just, you know, a superficial move, more like putting a bandage on something that needed a cast. Like, you're putting a bandage on a broken leg when it needs to have a cast put on it. More cosmetic than anything. Smoke and mirror. And more corruption scandals were coming to light and coming out. So it kind of turned out to be partially true what these critics were saying. So, you know, these families, they're still powerful and they're growing even more powerful, so... You know, a year later, more than top, like the top five were accounting for 37% of the gross output and 44% of exports and the small businesses started to go bankrupt in Korea. And this was going on into the early years of the 2000s, so there was like a constant struggle of bribery and corruption going on, even like, even to current days, like people were still able to see all of this struggle going on. And the government has, since the birth of the Chabel, been closely involved with their affairs. And there's been, like, scandals involved when President Im Young-bak pardoned Samsung Chairman 
Ikyun uh, Hee for tax evasion. So stuff like the government and chaebol mixing definitely isn't uncommon in Korea. There's lots of white collar crime that we've seen in the past. So now, shall we go on to some controversies? I think that would be so, so fun to talk about. So one thing that chaebols are very notorious for causing controversy on themselves, whether it be fraud, embezzlement, sexual harassment, assault, or a mixture of all of the above, as we've seen. One thing that popped up here is that of uh, DB Group, formerly Dongbu Group. They produced a weird mixture of shit. Sometimes these people just decide that they're gonna produce a random assortment of stuff. Uh, they produce chemicals, insurance, and financial products. And they were founded in 1969. The founder, Kim Jung-gi, he was accused of sexually assaulting a housekeeper and a secretary in 2016 and 2017. In turn, it was said that he left for the United States and stayed abroad for over two years and avoided returning home until Interpol got involved and those notices got so intense that he eventually just had to come back home. Now, when he did come back to South Korea, he was arrested and stood trial and he was uh, sentenced to two years and six months for both of those assaults. And of course, they rebranded the company's image after it suffered, and Kim handed over the position of chairman to his son and withdrew from management, but apparently he just couldn't stay away from any form of management position. Like, he just had an itch. He had to be, like, in some sort of management. Because shortly after, in March of 2021, he came back on as an unregistered executive of the company's affiliate subcompany CBINC and DB Hightech. Yeah, he really learned his lesson, didn't he? On to another one. There's been a case of Lee Jae-young, his father Lee Kyung-hee. We just talked about him getting pardoned. He began working for Samsung in 1991. Ah, see, there's Samsung again. We've talked about Samsung quite a bit. Um, by 2012, he was vice chairman of Samsung. And in January of 2017, he was accused by the Korean Prosecution Office of bribery, embezzlement, and perjury. So he was questioned for nearly 24 hours and was charged with bri bribing President Park Geun-hye. And she's not very... Um, liked either in South Korea and for very obvious reasons. So he was indicted in February of 2017 and was found guilty and given a five-year sentence, later reduced to two and a half years and a suspended sentence, which led to him being released after a year. He ended up in a retrial, which resulted in the same conviction, so... I think by 2021, he ended up going to prison. He was also giving, given a sentence in 2021 for a charge related to propofol and was told to pay a, fi a fine of 70 million won. 
He was released in August of 2021, and by August of 2022, he got pardoned by President Yoon Suk-yeol of all of his crimes. Now we're on to another case. The case involving Mr. Pizza. This is a really interesting one. Mr. Pizza um, had an incident where a store owner had withdrawn from a franchise, and so the head office decided that they were going to open up a store next to this um, old shop owner as retaliation. They decided that they were going to sell pizzas next to this old shop owner at a much cheaper price. And the two stores in question were offering things like half-priced chicken, free cutlets and stuff that this other store just could not compete with and as a result that store was struggling so much and the former franchise owner ended up committing suicide. <clears throat> and as a result the chairman Jung Woo Hyun said um, on June 26 of 2017 that he was going to step down and felt personally responsible for the mess and would close the shops in question. Yeah. And now, one of the most famous ones. This was also mentioned on the Dark Side of Soul podcast. Um, both Joe and Sean commented about this one. And this one always makes me laugh because this is the most ridiculous damn story that I have ever heard. It involves both Gapjil and just entitlement to the nth degree. Nutgate or nut rage. The infamous thing that happened December 5th, 2014 at JFK Airport as a Korean airline was heading back to um, South Korea on flight 086. Uh, Cho Hyuna was, as I said, heading back to South Korea. She was on a plane. Uh, about to be served her pre-flight snack. She was mad because it was handed to her in a bag rather than on a plate. It was like macadamia nuts or something. Um, so, so disgusted by this that she was not accommodated properly because she was like one of the heads of, you know, Korean air. She calls over the attendant and she is demanding to know what all of this is about. The attendant tries to explain it to her, but she rebukes him, demands to speak to the chief. Now the chief is trying to explain everything to her, but of course gets rebuked. Now she's like using her tablet to like, you know, hit on, hit them and she makes a big stink about it. She orders the plane to be turned around and go back to the gate. This caused a 20-minute delay for everyone on board. Now, initially, the chief wasn't going to say anything about the incident because, you know, this is just not something that they felt was going to be worth them getting in trouble about. But, however, they later discovered that Hyuna was apparently going to spread rumors about 
them and this attendant having some sort of sexual affair. So that's when they decided to speak out about it. Now, that's when apparently the airline itself decided to fire either the chief or the attendant themselves. And then I think it was the attendant that ended up getting dismissed. And word came out that the airline attempted to contact him a dozen times, pressuring him to say that he had voluntarily resigned. And further investigation showed Cho had a repeating pattern of attacking attendants, as well as, you know, the family had a history of having problematic behaviors with anybody that worked from them, or worked for them. So this went completely public. And the public was so against Cho in Korean Air that Cho was forced to resign from her vice president job. So she still ended up keeping her position as chairman, though. But later she did get criminal charges pressed against her. And later on they said that she did try to um, go to the homes of the victims, but only left a note to apologize because they weren't home. And her father also attempted to apologize on behalf as well of her. And at her trial, she was given a year-long prison sentence for obstructing aviation safety, but somehow was not felt uh, found guilty of changing the aircraft's route. And the sentence was reduced to 10 months. And in, uh, she ended up getting released immediately because she had a suspended sentence. And the attendant and the chief tried to file a civil suit, but the cases were thrown out. But Korean Air ended up uh, paying a fine of about 20 million won for coercion for the flight attendant. So that is kind of like a brief introduction there to a history of Chibol in South Korea. And that was just kind of me grazing over it. Now I'm sure that it goes much, much deeper down the rabbit hole including some stories regarding Chabel, even with the stories that I provided. So, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode today, and if you have any other recommendations or anything that you would like to hear, please feel free to let me know, as always. You can contact me via email at manicmanorpodcast at gmail.com. You can also contact me on Facebook or Instagram, manicmanorpodcast. And as always, I'll see you in the next episode. Bye-bye.